Welcome to the Net Effects Podcast, where Les Ottolenghi and Mark Bavasoto break down how the Fortune 500, the hottest startups, and the best VCs succeed through digital, social, and personal transformation. And now, here are your show hosts, Mark Bavasoto and Les Ottolenghi. He's known around the world as the CIO Whisperer. Please welcome our next guest, the founder of CIO Partners, Mr. Mike Burgetts. Welcome to the program, Mike. Uh, thank you, Mark. You're too kind with that intro. Appreciate it. <laughs> we have a feature on all our podcasts called Unmasking the Executive. So I really want you to step back, give us an exclusive, take us back to a time that we may not know something about Mike, but it really helped shape you as a person. So just give us maybe a story about that. That's really something that really stands out, whether it's from your childhood, whether it's from growing up, whether it's becoming a leader that really just shaped you into the person you are today. You know, I always think back about, you know, that Mount Rushmore of the people that have shaped us over time, right? And, uh, you know, I found myself in this older age of reaching back out to some of those folks. And, but, you know, for me, you know, I grew up in, you know, it's a pseudo small town, Pensacola, Florida, which is the panhandle, the beach town. You know, I could give you the, the background and, you know, the challenges of growing up and trying to figure out paths and how to get there. But I think, you know, growing up uh, in the way that we did, and being the first to go to school and first to go to college kind of led me down that path. I think back, there was a, there's a mentor I had named Dub Hampton. Dub was a high school typing teacher. He actually gave me my first C, and that was a big deal. <laughs> Unfortunately, after that, I got a few more Cs. But uh, and how do you get a C in typing, right? That's, that's a good question. Um, but I ended up working for him in my first computer job while I was a, a freshman in college. And uh, he just taught me a lesson about, you know, how to you know, be the type of person that gets things done. Uh, there's a great book called Messages to Garcia that he taught me a little lesson in doing that. But I think back to folks like Dub, you know, my parents who pushed me and that upbringing I had and just the lessons learned along the way. Let's talk about mentorship a little bit, especially in today's world. With these lockdowns and stuff that's happening right now, you're seeing a lot of kids struggle. And I know you're an active volunteer and Kids to Leaders, which provides mentorship, training, and programs for at-risk teens. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? And was from early on having a mentor, was this one of the reasons why you wanted to do this? That's a good question. You know, I've never thought about it from that perspective of, you know, did I, because I was mentored by others, was that the inner drive to give back? You know, on some level, I'm blessed with a great wife and three daughters, right? So I knew by getting involved with these youth, I could go mentor a, a young man, you know, and you do try to relate to the kids who are in that program. And the kids who are in the program is based here in the, in the state of Georgia, and they've had a parent who has been incarcerated, right? And you think about that cyclical incarceration rate. But, you know, I joined Kids to Leaders uh, really to, one, get involved in something, two, give back. And like any good mission work, right, it comes back to you tenfold. So I ended up mentoring a young man who I met when he was 10. Um, he's now 21. Um, and, you know, yes, I've had affected his life in, in, a, in a positive way, you know, gave him this kind of role model that didn't exist in his dynamic. And there's been challenges like helping raise any other teenager. But yeah, I think you're right. I think I was drawn to that, you know, maybe in thinking about the people that poured into my life. And, you know, that's it's just been a great experience. Well, Mike, you know, I, I appreciate you being on the podcast because for me, over the last 15 years, you've been one of those leaders in the technology arena for technology leaders. Uh, and your mentorship 
has extended beyond what your volunteer work looks like. I consider it when I listen to you and I talk to you, part of parcel of what you do with CIO partners. And I know you do these very exclusive, well-defined executive searches, but you've helped a lot of people, including myself in my career. One of the qualities I've seen you know, that you exhibit and, and things that you've pressed me on that would be interesting for our listeners is sort of the questions on how to define and think about their careers. You ask these probing questions to get people started and go in the right direction, which again, I, I will, I'll tell you, always seems to be successful for me. So I appreciate it. What is the secret to that? You do it exceptionally well at CIO Partners, but is this part of your mentoring? Is this just a way of thinking about leadership? What motivates you to do that and why do you do it? First of all, Les, thank you for the kind words. You know, words I've always considered you, you know, one of the rock stars in the CIO community. But you approach it with an open mind, right? I mean, yeah. you're you're a seeker of knowledge, right? And you know, I think that really, really helps. And um, you and I have known each other for a long time, and we've talked about as you've considered new opportunities, moved into new opportunities, and you come with an open mind, right? You're truly seeking knowledge. I think that ability to be humble. As a tech leader, whether you've, you've been there, done that, or you're kind of emerging, I think it's very, very important. I think it's good to know exactly what you're good at and what you bring to the table. But I think, you know, seeking out that counsel on folks that can help advise, you know, me, if I'm that individual, and what are the right steps? You know, what is it? And I think you, a great tie into that mentorship piece. Again, I've never thought about that, but that's one thing I enjoy. That's one thing that's helped in the 20 years of building you know, the CIO partners brand is really, you know, think about one, getting to know someone first personally, right? You know, what makes them tick? What's important? You know, how old are their kids? Where do they live? What are their favorite sports teams? Because then you can relate, right? And then once you can relate, you can break down those barriers and then you can coach. I don't consider myself a coach, but I think I do a lot of things like a coach does. But I think as a tech leader, looking for that next pivot, I think seeking out good counsel, and it doesn't have to be from someone in the executive recruiting space. I think uh, just, you know, who are those folks I can go to? What is that sounding board? Who is that board of advisors? Who can I assemble along the way so I can test these ideas? Because if you go at it alone, it's going to be difficult, right? And you got to figure out who you can align with that will help you throughout your career. And yeah, so I enjoy doing that. I enjoy breaking that down. I've learned a lot. You know, I was a CIO back in the day before yeah. we hardly even called them CIOs. There might have there might even been an MIS in the title, but uh, <laughs> we won't talk about that. But I was young and, and learned a lot, you know, and I think that helped shape me to understand the challenges of coming up as a young technology leader, right. the things you run into in the corporate world, you know, how do you influence, um, you know, what's unique about the individual that helps them to succeed or you know, prevents rope, you know, puts roadblocks in the way of being successful. And over the time, you know, doing this for 20 years now, uh, which is just crazy, it's kind of developed into almost, it just, it flows, it just flows out, right? Sometimes I, I don't, I'm not even sure where it comes from, um, but a lot of it comes from a good person that you're talking to and what they're sharing back about their unique situation. And how does somebody, since we have a, a number of our listeners who are growing their careers, uh, and I would obviously advise them to reach out to you and connect in your network. But how should they be seeking out their mentors? What's the approach they need to take to be successful in developing that sort of mentor board of advisors, if you will? Well, there's a couple of ways to look at it, I believe. You know, I think there's a biblical verse, you know, you can't be a prophet in your own town, right? <laughs> so, so sometimes it's hard 
to get that mentorship from people who know you well. Right. I think there's an element of that, but your, you know, your buddies, your friends, maybe family members, they may not know specifically the challenges you face on a day-to-day basis, nor would we want to load that on them. But there is an element of that that is always good for advisement, bringing us back to our roots and who we are. But I think, you know, as a young leader, who are the leaders that I know that I would love to emulate, right? As you kind of grow, you know, who are those peers that I know? You would think that CIOs are the most networked people in the, in, in the world, but I think it's a small subset. They work so hard, they bust their tail, and they really have a hard time carving out that time, especially early in their career. And I've talked to so many tech leaders over, over the years is they wish as they've gotten older, they wish they would have done more to build that on the way up. But to answer your question specifically, you know, I always encourage folks to reach out directly. There may be a a CIO that you've heard of that has been successful, maybe a guy like Les, right? Go at him directly, introduce yourself, tell a little bit about your story. Say, I'd love to pick your brain. There's a good number of us like Les and others that we know who would be open to those conversations. There's some that may not get it yet, that it's time to give back, yep. but I think you have to pursue those. If you pursue a relationship with a, a mentor that may not know you, the worst thing they could do is ignore you. The, the next best thing they can do is maybe to pass you along to someone they know. And the best thing they could do is say, yeah, I'd be happy to chat with you. I think you'd be surprised how many folks are willing to share what they know with an up and coming or a been there, done that. From your standpoint also, that mentorship relationship that you had early on, as you can kind of see in the conversation we're having, right? It's played a big role into how it shaped you from, you know, even starting this company, like getting to know people, understanding that part of it. That's huge, right? Breaking down those barriers. So I think, you know, we've kind of opened up a little can of worms here that you, you know, that has had a huge impact on you as a person and kind of growing this company for sure. Yes. And, you know, to add on that, Mark, too, I think, um, you know, I always encourage, you know, tech leaders to get involved in something, right? You know, you brought up kids to leaders, right? So, you know, getting involved in that, I'm, I am automatically forced to be around other folks. I served on their board for a time and those interactions kind of build natural networking around a common passion, you know, and that's in serving, you know, the kids that we serve, but, you know, also in getting involved in, you know, networking communities, you know, it's a little harder with COVID these days, but, you know, put yourself out there, right? That's the biggest thing. If you put yourself out there and work on, you know, kind of becoming a thought leader or, or, you know, being seen, I think those connections will come. Then there's the natural follow-up of how do I maintain those relationships? How do I give before I ask or expect, you know, which I think most people know those things, but you forget them, right? When you're running so hard day to day to deliver in the role that you're currently in, you kind of got to bring that back and you may not need a real person to be a mentor, right? There is some mentorship that can be derived from reading, from spending a lot of time in certain books. You know, there's good books that you're good reads, you know, um, you may not be able to get Pat Lencioni, you know, to mentor you directly, but you can read his book. And the biggest thing that I feel that a lot of tech leaders are missing is that leadership component. We know the tech, but that whole interaction, you know, influencing, you know, pure level, Obviously, the, the old term, getting close to the business, those are the things that I think mentors and peer advisors can definitely help with. Can leadership be a learned trait? Can you make good leaders or is it something that you're born with? Yes, I do believe that there are a natural propensity toward you know, certain traits you know, as, a, as a born leader. 
But, you know, we do a lot of, you know, assessments like leadership assessments. There's a very simple one called DISC, right? And there's D-I-S and C. The C is that attention to detail component, the compliance component. You know, for me, I'm a low C, high D, high I, you know, um, typical profile, but I'm not naturally detailed, but I have learned how to create systems around my process and myself. So people would look at me and go, oh, he's naturally detailed. Well, no, I have to work at it. I think it's the same thing with leadership. And you can lead from different components of type of person that you are. But yes, I think you can learn. You can learn. It may begin with like, okay, are there tricks? Are there hacks? Are there things that I need to kind of keep top of mind? You know, if I'm an introvert, you know, am I going to go lead my people, you know, management by walking around? Well, it's probably, I probably like sitting behind my desk. But if I force myself and if I think of how I'm approaching the other folks, so it is, I think it's a learned skill. And you could have great leadership traits at birth, but if you don't do anything with it, then you can easily, you know, go off on a tangent and not be a great leader. You may have leadership traits, but you may lead in not an effective way. And we get bad habits. So again, it goes back to that advisory and that peer group kind of helping us shape perspective that we can apply and be successful along the way because we'll never, ever get there. It's a long journey. Yeah. So again, that's a great point. And you know, COVID is really changing the landscape in a lot of different ways. Right? Right. So let's let's flip this a little bit to a company, right? And I'm a company. I'm seeking a new position, or I'm seeking an open position in, you know, let's say, CIO. You know, what is the biggest challenge for hiring IT executives in kind of this moving into this post COVID nineteen world? When COVID hit, as CIO partners of the company, you know, we were coming off like the biggest you know, hiring trend, Q4 of the previous year, Q1 killed it. I mean, knocked it out of the park, right? Obviously that was pre-COVID. And then you had that when COVID hit and everyone went straight to work from home, you saw just a stop, right? There was a pause. There were certain companies that didn't miss a beat. You know, we had one example of of an executive search. It was a seven-figure search. You know, they made this hire without meeting this person face-to-face, which today doesn't sound so crazy. You know, mid last year, you go, oh my gosh, maybe there is hope that people are going to pivot quickly. And now I think it's become the norm. I think companies have reset their expectations on what do you and I need to do to make sure that you and I fit, even if they traditionally had not had a work from home culture. But I do think it still affects it. I think we still, you know, lose productivity and focus during a search just because, you know, we are, you know, kind of in in different locations and it's different from, you know, popping in someone's office and asking for that feedback. I think these are challenges that companies have that are still working through. So you are seeing searches typically extend a little longer. Um, But the flip side is with a somewhat, some companies now I will hire from anywhere, that makes it so much easier. Now, if you're in Topeka, Kansas, or I've, I've done searches in Jackson, Mississippi, or Helena, Montana, Right now, you can hire from anywhere. And you guys know this. I mean, you know, Les lives in Las Vegas. And, you know, that ability to, to hire from any corridor, I think in the end, we'll be better off for it. I think there are challenges that we've had to deal with along the way. But I think companies are evolving quickly. I think it's a good thing. I would have to agree with that. And you're seeing a lot more, the talent pools growing exponentially, yes. right? And there's just people have more access. And there's a lot of companies that I've talked to that have said, like, before we're just hiring, you know, completely in our area. 
But now all of a sudden it's opened up that we're having access to all this talent pool. And the flip side, it's giving people that live in these areas that my cost of living is higher. Right now they have an opportunity to say, hey, I can go somewhere where the cost of living is a little low, the quality of life is better. And you know, there's a lot of benefits to I think this this remote economy. So another follow-up question that I have for this, right? So I am a company, right? I'm an executive board, I'm an executive leadership. You know, in your opinion, what is the one question that I should ask that would reveal that this candidate is ready for this opportunity? So one question. Um, you know, I think what I would want to know from a candidate and where we kind of help our clients, because you know, going back to the last question you asked, you know. Mm-hmm where you know now companies can hire from anywhere it's also creating more competition for those candidates so you know we always talk about are we in a client driven market or a candidate driven market i think it that makes it tilt more toward candidate driven market because now i'm sitting where i want to sit and now companies from everywhere are coming to me now i have more opportunities you know i think you know it's still important for companies to assess how excited and how in tune with is that candidate with where the company is heading? You know, what do you know about our brand? You know, what are you a fan of? You know, how in tune are they in, into where we're heading? What do they understand about our, our, our position in the market? Maybe what they heard that we're trying to accomplish. For me, if I can go there quickly with a candidate, that's going to help me understand is, are they really interested in who we are and what they can do to help us get there? Or is it just another assignment? Right. And I still think you, even in this, you know, gun for hire type world that we're kind of seen to be moving toward in the independent individual being, you know, individual companies, I think that's very important. So I think you have to identify that very early as about what their intent. And yes, you may have to sell them along the way, but I want to hear that first. Right. I think that's very important to understand if I'm talking to these 10 different people, you know, who are the most passionate about what we're doing? Because it's still about culture. And that kind of gives you a little inkling of is culture important to them? And culture is a part of who we are, who we serve, what we do, and why would I want to be a part of that? And if they can't articulate that, I go, okay, you know, you still may sell them, you still may do the dance, but that may be an early indicator that, you know, there may be some better candidate in the pool. That answers a number of questions about this, uh, what succeeds. Uh, and you and I have had this conversation before that culture triumphs over everything ultimately in success for an organization. So what does the tech leader of today, and you started to touch on this before, um, but what does the CIO, CTO, or tech leader today need to be able to do to be successful and to really be aligned with today's trend and going forward? What are those characteristics and qualities they have to have in, in what they do every day executing? I'm involved in this networking group, and we posed a question about, you know, do computer science degrees matter, right? Uh-huh. And uh, it was a good article. And me having a computer science degree, I was kind of on edge, right? <laughs> even though I don't use it, right? Even, even though I, I earned it, uh, you know, I, I don't use it um, anymore. But, you know, I, I still think, you know, the understanding of tech is important, right? That's something that we've always naturally done as CIOs and, and technology leaders. So I think those are table stakes. What's quickly becomes table stakes are the things that, you know, we were always beaten up for back in the, the 90s and continued into the 2000s and continue today. Is that how well do we relate? You know, I hate to always use a term, you know, how, you know, align with a business, right? right. That can be debated, you know, how, how a better way to say that. But our ability to truly be business leaders first, we know that. Our ability to understand our peers, align with our peers and serve. You know, the tech is table stakes, but 
you know, that's hard, right? So depending on how we come into the tech leadership position, you know, we come from very many different ways. You know, I think the, the remaining connected to other tech leaders, right, for thought share and for learning, I think that's important. I think as a tech leader is, is understanding that, that you got to understand the tech. You don't have to understand it as a developer or as a coder like maybe you used to. You know, understanding how to influence, how to lead. I mean, we're leaders first now. We've gotten past that. Right. You know, I think it used to be that over 70% of us reported to a CFO, yep. right? And today that number's flipped. And that's a great thing. You know, we have that seat at the table. To the CEO, right? Yeah, to the CEO, absolutely. Um, In a small subset to like a COO or something related. But, you know, we now have that seat at the table and there's a mantle that we have and that's something that we need to continue to work on. And that's about leadership. But again, you could be a good leader, you can understand the tech, but then it's also about, you know, effectiveness and what are you delivering? I think those are the key components, you know, for a CIO to think of these days. And and it's sort of the... uh the you see these generational changes in along with generational technology and now a, a much more rapid pace to all innovation are you finding that some of the younger leaders who have grown up in a completely connected world are more aligned with this view you have of where that leader needs to be in business or do you find that they're just very technically oriented and want to be entrepreneurs and innovators or is there a nice blend of all of the above i would hope that we get to a blend you know, straight up answer to that less, you know, I'm a little concerned, you know, because I do think that the folks that are coming up behind us, yeah, they're naturally tech savvy, right? There's things they can do with two buttons versus taking us about, you know, 20 ways to figure it out. <laughs> and it's, it's amazing, right? And that's awesome. When you bring that into an organization, man, you can build on that. I do wonder, you know, what desires are coming out of that group as to leadership. I think it goes back to that, you know, I'm a, it's, you know, you know, Mike Inc., right? And I'm a free agent. And what am I going to learn here that's going to add to my toolbox that I may take somewhere else or I may go on Fiverr and become a, you know, Fiverr consultant, right? Yep. So I think that concerns me a little bit is how are we going to develop these leaders? I would love to see a perfect blend because they've got the tech. And I think that goes back to the mentorship question that we have responsibilities as tech leaders to really focus on bringing up that generation behind us. Who are we mentoring? We don't need to mentor them on the tech. We may need to mentor them on, you know, the build versus buy, right? Uh, why recreate the will? You know, how here's how to manage, you know, the vendor relationships and get the most out of things. But it's purely that leadership piece. And I think we have a lot to do there. And I think as leaders, we have a responsibility to figure out how to bring those folks along with. I think it's a smaller pool. You know, I think the pool's bigger, but I think there's a smaller set of folks that want to move into these leadership roles versus, you know, back in the day when, when we were we were faced with that. And do you think this is just the natural outcome of everybody who has tech skills somewhere in their mind? Maybe they're going to wander off and do a big startup. They're going to be the next, you know, Mark Benioff or I don't know, Zuckerberg or something like that. Or perhaps they just have an ambition to be their own boss. Do you see tech talent kind of moving away from the enterprise IT side of things and moving more into these entrepreneurial ventures? And is there a crossover back and forth? You know, if we were working with a client and they were trying to hire a CIO and that CIO's path, you always look at the path. Unfortunately, we're defined by our path, Yep. right? And I coach leaders sometimes to talk about building a portfolio of things you've done versus the resume. And there's some good ideas on that because we're defined you don't want to be defined by your resume, some chronological history of I've worked here, here, and here. 
you want me to be defined by these major milestones of things that I've done, accomplished, transformed over time, and you not industry or, or, or company related. But if I was looking at a resume of someone who's kind of been in the startup mode, startup mode, startup mode, you know, doing this, but hey, now I want to get into a real corporate role. It's going to be hard. And not, not on my perception, clients are still looking for someone, you know, have you existed in an organization of this scale and magnitude and been successful? They're going to be less likely to want to take a chance unless there is something that you've done specifically that they need, right? Yes, there are examples of folks who go back in and do both, but I think traditionally you're going to see folks on one side or the other. But then again, I think what it helps is the way this is evolving is this allows us as tech leaders to be true leaders. If we're in a corporate environment, a corporate setting, it is about leadership because the components of who can do what and the vendors that can do what, well, we can mix and match those and realizing those relationships may only be short term. I may not hire that person for the next five to seven years. I may get them for two if I'm lucky. And that's changed the way we have to think as tech leaders. We've entered this kind of, I want to call it a new world, right? But we're entering this world where there's many voices that are being heard today. We're kind of living in a lot of these echo chambers and there's so much going on, so many decisions that leaders have to make, you know, especially from the social aspect, right? Whether, you know, diversity, inclusion, all these different things. In your experience, when you're talking to these companies, how are they looking at that when sourcing candidates? Well, from a search standpoint, you know, diversity of the candidate pool is huge. That's something that exists and, you know, something that we're, you know, we're constantly, you know, asked, you know, they want to see our metrics, right? They want to make sure that, that we're the right firm that's going to represent that well. You know, I would flip and There's other components that fit into that equally. You know, the component of as they look at a slate of candidates, it all comes down to two things, track record and fit. Yeah, the whole reference piece is good, right? But it's hard that it's not typical anyone ever gets a bad reference. The whole thing is, you know, how do they approach the complexity of change? You know, where have they been successful at that in their past? You know, what's the correlation from what they've done and how that applies in my company today? I think that's key. So they're going to evaluate it mainly on track record, what they've done, how it applies, and then they're going to assess that to fit. And then they're going to finalize that with, is there a mutual desire that this should happen? And the, it's, it's search is pretty, it's, it's pretty easy, right? There's one reason you know, I thought I was going to build an IT consulting company and I realized, well, search has a few less components. There's more of a personal aspect to it, but it's pretty simple. You go find the best people, right? And you make sure you've uncovered all the best people in the shortest amount of time. And it's putting them in front of these companies and they determine if there's mutual alignment and then cautioning both sides to not let them get into that relationship that may or may not produce the fruit that they expect it to produce. So it's also devil advocate. You know, it's not, you know, there are some, I think recruiters out there are happy just to slap a resume and, and get to hire. But, you know, part of our responsibility too is to make sure that there is alignment because not only will that not be good for the two parties that may be moving across the country or, you know, or whatever that may look like, you know, also for our brand and, you know, our brand has been very important to us. So naturally when you're sourcing the best candidates, if you're doing the right, if you're doing your job right, I should say, things are naturally going to go diverse, correct? Yeah. Diversity in the true sense, diversity of thought, right? You know, diversity of experience, all those are very, very important. There are ways to ensure that you have adequate representation and have a, a great candidate slate. You know, we always tell our clients is that, 
you know, they come to us with a spec, right? This is what we think we need. This is what we need. And we always tell folks that we're going to give you a lot of folks that fit right perfectly in that spec, but it's our job to test the market. So we're going to show you folks that are over here, show you folks over here. So our job as, as an executive recruiting firm is we have to give them a varied slate of cans. We have to test their thinking, right? Not only have to pay attention to what they say they want, but also what we think. And, you know, with me, it's been many years ago, I always tell folks that now it's nothing more than good marketing, right? Me being in a former CIO seat, I, we kind of know the different flavors. The client may not, and we may not be able to articulate it in a short amount of time, but that's our job to guide them there. But yes, to your point, Mark, is that presenting this opportunity in the right way to the right location of candidates generally will bring in the right representative pool. And always the best candidates will, will bubble up to the top, right? I think, you know, we exist in a, you know, IT has always been a white male dominated world, right? And which, you know, when you find an excellent candidate that fits outside that profile, man, you talk about the opportunities. You know, we get excited, right? When we can put together a slate that, that is representative of many different flavors and thought and different ways of IT leaders, we know we've, we've done a slam dunk. We've covered it for our client and then they get to make the final decision. But yes, it's definitely something we have to think about and continue to make sure we're doing the right thing on. Let's make a quick transition and get back to Mike, right? Mike is the person. So let's talk about personal transformation a little bit. When you kind of look deep within yourself, how have you personally transformed yourself as a father, husband, and business executive, you know, kind of in this quarantine COVID-19 time? When COVID hit, there was kind of like the, you know, oh boy, you know, what do we do? What are our first thoughts, right? Safety of family, continuity of business. So the family can still eat, right? Those are all very important. Um, <laughs> And so those, those really became the main two things. How is my family and how is my livelihood? And I don't think as people, we focused on much else at first, right? And that's kind of probably basic survivability, right? And of course, our, our firm went to, you know, 100% remote, you know, at that point. And, you know, you'd see people on these Zoom calls and they were just worn out, right? And you think about it, right? So they were around the family 24-7. And they ended up working more and productivity went through the roof, but it wasn't good productivity. Oh. It wasn't sustainable. But, you know, that's something I learned too, right? That whole, you know, how we achieve that balance. What is our role as a company? We've always been very good. You know, we've got great, you know, we've been named best places to work in Atlanta many times. And, you know, it's always been important to us. But I think COVID put a new spin on it. You know, bring some tolerance to mind about, you know, more of reminding us of an individual situation. What's going on in their life? What's their fears? You know, how do they look at that team environment and how, you know, we need to look out for one another. So it, it becomes a great, it either, you know, great cultures survive through that or they, you know, or, or cultures that aren't so great, you know, kind of implode. But I still think we look, you, you make mistakes. I think we learn a lot about ourselves. But I think COVID, you know, one, it's been great, right? It's been great having more time with the family. You know, my wife may not fully agree with that, but in most cases, I think, yeah. <laughs> no, it's been great. You know, and, and, you know, and you talked about, you know, as a father, right? You know, I, I have three daughters, two are out of school. One's about to go into college or last uh, child. And you learn so much, you know, I'm not the dad I was today versus the dad I was when I was in my 20s, right? And you learn so much. So that whole growth pattern of how we interact with those we love those who we work with, who I hope we love, right? Because they are an extension of our family. 
I think times like COVID can bring a lot to, you know, how we interact with them. We, we saw what gets exposed. We saw what where our weaknesses are. But I think most people have been very in tune, right? How do I become a better man? How do I become a better leader? How do I become a better father? So that's been what's good for me and the craziness that we've, you know, we've dealt with. And hopefully we're, we're heading in the right direction right now. Well, Mike, this brings us to the last segment of our show, and this is the rapid fire question part. And this is learning a little bit more about Mike. Uh, so we're going to start off with a couple of questions and just first answer that comes to mind. Okay. Your favorite song. Favorite song. See, I talk too much, so I'll have to explain. I like all <laughs> kind of music. Um, I could go from Glenn Campbell, Johnny Cash to Eminem, but I was one asked, I was once asked what would be my bat song. It probably, you know, when you walk up to the plate, yeah, yeah. ready to swing the bat, um, it'd probably be Eminem, Lose Yourself. Favorite movie? In my office, I've got a bunch of DVDs up there that are all my favorite movies. Everything from Glory to Patriot, Last Samurai. There's a theme. Uh, yeah, yeah, there's, there's a theme. <laughs> yeah, I think it's, it's Braveheart. Braveheart's up there. The Godfather. Go. Okay. I'll, 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 I'll get Shaw, Shawshank Redemption. You can't, you know, the, what are the movies that you will sit down and watch? You know, Forrest Gump, right? Yeah. It'll be on and you got to watch it to see what specifically, what scene are they in? Yep. Is he running, you yep. know, or is he, you know, in the jungle? Right. Right. So did, did you have one out of that group or is, is it the genre? I think it's the genre. Um, but yeah, I'd have to say Shawshank. Okay. Favorite okay. actor or actress? Let's see. Actor. Well, old school would be John Wayne. Um, always grew up loving the Westerns, but then I like Paul Giamatti is a good character actor. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. so yeah. I'm gonna have to give you multiple answers, but you okay. might have to pin me down. That's all right. Um, actress, um, Kim Basinger. One business book you recommend all the time. I'd go back to when I talked about my mentor, uh, Mr. Hampton, it's called a message to Garcia. It's an old, old book. It's about, you know, during the Spanish American uh, war, a guy was tasked, you know, by the president, like who could get a message to the general in, in Cuba. And it was an individual who accepted the task, asked a few questions, didn't ask too many, and they got the task done. And that was taught to me in a, there was, you know, a, a way that he taught it to me and asked me to do something that I really didn't do. And then when I realized that the book was kind of the entry point that he made me go research, um, I really got the message. So message to Garcia. I think it's Albert Hubbard is the, the gentleman who wrote that. We give a copy to every new employee that, that joins our company. So in the next 12 months, as our listeners are thinking about the commentary today and, and, and your perspective on leadership, uh, what would you advise them? What is the one thing you would tell our audience is the most important thing for them to think about or personally develop over the next 12 months? Yeah. And speaking to, um, and you've got, a, has done a great job with the podcast and, and the audience that you have, you know, and speaking to, you know, technology leaders, you know, out there, you know, I would say, you know, we're coming off of a time to where it was hard to engage with one another. So double down, right. Yep. You know, I think we're, we're still limited in certain ways at what we can and, 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 and can't do, but, you know, figure out a way to ramp that back up. You got to get those relationships going, get a pour into other people, you got to receive the gifts that you get out of out of those relationships. I encourage CIOs to network the heck, you know, out of each other. Get in these communities. Um, a lot of them are online. You know, there's things that you can do today, but seek out how you can help someone. Because coming out of this, 
We're all in this together, right? And I think uh, that's the biggest recommendation that I would, would offer to folks. Fantastic, Mike. You have been generous with your time, your thoughtfulness, uh, particularly around sort of the personal humanity and in particular around leadership and the qualities of great leaders. We appreciate you very much being on the NetFX podcast where you learn about digital, social, and personal transformation. Mike Brigett, founder and CEO of CIO Partners, thank you for being on our podcast today and please come back soon. Yes, thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Les. 